Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're talking about the death of Stalin. Which doctor have you called? Oh, well, the subject's currently under discussion. This is acting general secretary. I think that, uh, well, the committee should decide. The, com the committee? But our actual general secretary is lying in a puddle of indignity. I mean, I think he's saying, get me a doctor now. No, I don't, I don't agree. I think, uh, I think we should wait until we're quartered. Quartered? The room is only 75% conscious. Are you wearing pajamas? Yes, so? Why? Uh, because I act, Labrenti. <laughs> Decisively and with great speed. I said you'd be tested, and right now you're being tested by a shouty man wearing pajamas. Have you got a nappy under those too? Too late for him. <laughs> Out of my way, you fatties. This is a Russian history political satire black comedy. Directed by Armando Iannucci. The cast includes Mr. Pink, George Bluth, a Monty Python, Lucius Malfoy, and Agent 47. I watched this movie on Netflix. How did you watch it, Joey? I also watched it on Netflix. All right. Why don't you give us the synopsis uh, for The Death of Stalin? I, I feel like I need to preface this that we actually have a real synopsis this time, unlike our usual bit. So, because I, I felt like we needed it, because sometimes these I, yeah, movies are impenetrable. So, there's a lot of names and stuff. So, I'm going to try and explain it. The Death of Stalin is a dramatized version of the events that immediately came after Joseph Stalin's death. Stalin had implemented many new and terrifying governmental structures, one of which was the list of traitors that he personally reviewed and instructed to have tortured and killed. No one was safe from these lists, not even Stalin's closest allies, who were the subjects of this film. There are a bunch of guys who maneuver their way into different positions of power in the vacuum created by Stalin's death, but they all have long Russian names, and explaining how one guy talked to another guy about a third guy is neither useful nor interesting. So let me try and put it to you very simply. Nikita Khrushchev, played by Steve Buscemi, is the first secretary of the Moscow Committee. I have no idea what that means, nor is it relevant to the film. Uh, Nikita is one of Stalin's closest advisors and holds significant power at the time of the leader's death. Laurenti Beria played by Simon Russell Beale, is the head of NKVD security forces. He's in charge of the secret police and the execution of literally millions of Soviet citizens. Stalin writes the lists and Beria tells his goons to fulfill them. So those are our two main players. After Stalin reads a nasty note from a talented young pianist, he chokes and collapses on the floor. Beria is the first on the scene and quickly takes control of the situation, much to Khrushchev's chagrin. These two, being the most clear-headed of Stalin's inner circle, plot and recruit other members of Stalin's cabinet to their respective sides. Beria quickly gains more political power, while Khrushchev is given the task of directing Stalin's funeral. Seeking to control the situation further, Beria shuts down Moscow and replaces the army with his own secret policeman. He stops all travel to and from the city and puts armed guards on the roads. Khrushchev is furious and instructs that the trains be let into Moscow so that the people can attend Stalin's funeral. At least, that is what he tells people. Secretly, he is hoping to cause some sort of crisis, hoping to take advantage while Beria struggles to contain it. This works. 1,500 people are killed by Beria's secret police for attempting to, enter, attempting to enter the city. Khrushchev quickly blames Beria and lies to the other members of the cabinet so they can vote Beria out. Khrushchev enlists the help of the army and Field Marshal uh, Zhukov, who is itching for a coup. Together, they overpower Beria, hit him until he bleeds, and tie him up. 
The cabinet, led by Khrushchev and the army, hold a hasty trial for Beria. He is found guilty, despite his shouting and pleading, and they shoot him and burn his body. The movie ends with Khrushchev taking control and text that shows that he's overthrown by another ambitious political politician in a few years. Very good. No, I think that's that's pretty much covers it. I uh, I definitely felt like the the names are probably the hardest part for me watching yeah. this movie. I had to go back and read and, and try to connect the dots and stop calling uh you know stop calling everybody <laughs> by what their actor's name is and like like Khrush- and start calling him Khrushchev instead of uh, Steve Buscemi, yeah, because yeah. that's what I that's what I refer to him in my head the whole time. But Mr. okay, Pink. yes. <laughs> uh, let's um, let's start with our pros and cons, Joey. What did you like about the death of Stalin? I thought this movie had a really interesting tone that it executes very very well. Um, some really great acting um, from our whole cast uh, and some great dialogue too, um, and a very unique look at a very important part of world history. What about you? Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. Um, it's funny. I did think this movie had some great laughs in funny. it. Funny, it is funny. It's got a great cast. Uh, yeah, a fantastic dialogue, chilling portrayal of life in the Soviet Union, which uh, you know is I don't know. It's I, interesting is not the right word. It's like it's almost like morbid curiosity, haunting. You yes, might say. yes, and then also satire of powerful men from history, which I always enjoy. Yeah. So that's what I liked. Let's uh, let's look at our cons. For me, I didn't like that the members of the committee felt so similar to each other. Like it was really hard for me to distinguish them outside of uh, George Bluth. Uh, what's his name? Uh, <laughs> Jeffrey Tambor. Right. Or, uh, uh, what's what's the the, the Malikov? No, no, no. Malikov. Yeah, Gregory uh, Malikov. Was Malikov. Yeah. Malikov. Oh boy, this is gonna be <laughs> tough. But yeah, he he, he was yeah, the one who was placed in charge initially after Stalin's death, and I felt like he was particularly impish. But uh, the rest of the guys all felt like kind of like buffoons in mm. kind of the same way. And it was hard to distinguish what they really cared about or what their vision for power was. Maybe that's intentional, but um, it felt like it was it was hard to distinguish our ensemble cast. Um, and then. Beyond that, this is more of a personal request or personal con for me, but I really, I think that Soviet propaganda is really interesting, and I think that the like aesthetic of it is really cool too. So I kind of wish that the movie had leaned a little harder into the aesthetic of so- uh, Soviet propaganda, like you know, with title cards or mm. um, you know, because they did have some of those like uh, in between scenes where they showed the like. I don't know, statutes from some sort of, I don't know. Constitution go- or something, yeah. Yeah, some government document that d- says what's supposed to happen when Stalin dies. But I think they could have gotten a little bit of mileage out of that. Also, just to further cement or explain why the people of so- of the Soviet Union were so committed to Stalin. Because all we see is horrible, horrible, horrible things happening to the Russians. And they still... But they still love Stalin and they come to his funeral without being told to all that stuff. Why? You know, I, I would kind of wish right. that we had gotten again. This movie isn't supposed to be a comprehensive history of Soviet Union. But um, personally, I would have liked to see a little bit more of that. I think that could have helped to complete the picture because the, the people of Russia are so important uh, for what happens in this movie. Yeah, I read this one article um, that was really interesting. And it talked about um, it was in The New Yorker and um, by uh, Anthony Lane, and he talked about how this movie kind of misses the mark on what like an opportunity for satire, and how like this could be a um, there's more to satirize about 
about how they interact with the public and everything. Um, but I don't know. I, I think that what they execute on works pretty well because yeah. it's pretty contained and everything. Yeah. I do feel like a lot of it is about seeing what happens behind the scenes, what the public doesn't have access to. And right. that's really interesting on its own. So I, again, I kind of, uh, I want to put that con in kind of like a personal con where it's like, I particularly wanted to see that the movie doesn't necessarily need it. Yeah. And I also agree that there's some weakness to the character development in this movie. Um, like really, like what really is the difference between our characters? There's even that one joke that, um, uh, somebody says where he walks by a couple of them and they make some joke and he's like one joke between two of you like you guys need to work yes. on your routine or something like that like it, it they're even poking fun at the fact that these guys are so one-dimensional um and i don't know like it's funny but like not really in a ha-ha funny way like if you go back and watch some of the scenes again you're like oh that's pretty funny but like in the whole context of the movie you're so like worried i guess that like it's really hard for you to like, kind of laugh um and of course, the question for every movie that's about history or purports to be about history, how accurate is this really? Yeah. So uh, that's always sitting in the back of your head, too. True, true. Okay, well, those are our pros and our cons. Let's move on to our overall section. Uh, take it away, Joey. I think there's a lot of interesting things about this movie. Um, first, it's billed as a comedy, like I just said, and there are, cert there are certainly moments that are funny, um, but it's never really a laugh-out-loud comedy. And you feel so uncomfortable throughout that it's almost as if you if you laugh too loudly, Stalin would come back from the grave just to put you on one of his death lists. <laughs> the I, well, did you feel like it had that consistently? Like, because I yes. felt like at the beginning it was funnier because it almost seems like look at how ridiculous these people who are in power. And now one mm -hmm. of them dies in an embarrassing way. Like it felt easier for me to be like, haha, losers. But then as I got to see more and more of the reality of Soviet Russia, I was like, oh, this isn't as funny anymore. Well, maybe it's because I saw the movie, this movie before, but I felt like the tone was really consistent. Okay. Um, and I think that was something that the it does really, really well. Because everything points back to it. It's this feeling of, like, don't get too comfortable. You never know what will be the thing that sinks you. It, it's this. It's kind of, like, almost confusing because you're constantly, like, being told, oh, this is a funny thing because they set it up as a joke and, like, it's, it's black comedy and it is sometimes funny. But at the same time, you're like, oh, this is actually horrifying and, like, uh, I feel very uncomfortable. <laughs> um, and so it, it's, like, this kind of like confusion but it's it's clearly like this dissonance that you're supposed to feel more so than it's like a tonal shift or like a kind of like bouncing between it it's just this constant like you're like you can never quite get comfortable in your own in your own seat um and yeah i i think it's i feel like you just off balance so much um that it becomes difficult to laugh and i actually have a quote that i think kind of kind of exemplifies this um it is more funny than it is uncomfortable can we just get another penis no that would be ridiculous the sound would be completely different i mean even stalin i didn't mean even stalin i hope this office isn't bugged of course comrade stalin would be able to tell the difference he's the great man with the great ear two great ears sharp but sharp, sharp. Sharpest is in the in the Soviet Union. Maria Venomanovna, you have to play. I didn't. I didn't mean what I said. So you said it then. As God is my witness, I won't do it. The Lord will see me through. So this is uh, near the very beginning, and they they have to. Uh, they just finished a concert, and they have to play it again because they weren't recording it, and Stalin requested a recording, uh, which turns out like going through the trouble of recording it again was probably worth it because that that uh, like director or whoever was probably going to die and might die anyway just because it was late yeah <laughs> so um but 
he has to convince the pianist that she needs to play again, but she hates Stalin, so she has no interest in doing it. And then uh, she calls out one of the, the conductor um, who who has offhand even Stalin. Um, and then they become very paranoid and try to correct that over and over again. And he's like talking into like thin air and like going around <laughs> to different objects and like speaking to them, trying to say, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's I mean, the, it, it's funny, but yeah. it's also it's it almost doesn't seem like it's hyperbolic. Like it's like, yes, it it's like this seems too real. Like the, yes. this was how they really had to live. And the expression that the conductor has in his face that like he's just like he's about to die like and he's like panicking and he eventually faints right like you kind of get the sense that like like it's funny the way they're talking and the way they're like over exaggerating and clearly like they're just trying to save their own skin but it's like they still like have this fear and it's got to come from somewhere and this and this does a lot like that line of dialogue and other pieces around it does a lot to establish that tone and that like helps you feel how you're supposed to feel about this movie because everyone not even stalin's closest allies are safe from this um and i believe that like uh because the tone never really shifts um say for the very ending with barry's death it reflects how all of our characters feel and they're constantly worried about their families and about their own lives they've been walking on eggshells for decades they're paranoid distrustful and constantly thinking one thing while doing another and our cast really does deliver on that aspect. They each embody their characters really fully, um, and they show depth in their ability to have several expressions at once. But like we said earlier, they're, they're pretty similar. Beria and Khrushchev are rivals, but their goals and methods seem very similar. Like they, like there's a whole thing where um, uh, Khrushchev will come up with an idea, right? He says, "I want to release people from prison," and then Beria is like ahead of him, or says, "I want to get um, the the kids here. You know, I want to get uh, uh, Stalin's kids here," and then they're already there. Because Barry is like 10 steps ahead of him. Um, so like they have like the same goals and methods to do it, but they're supposed to be rivals. So they, for some reason, they just can't work together. Um, the other uh, members of the cabinet are, have a little bit more distinct personalities, but they're largely one dimensional and hardly break from those rules. So they, they execute on that well, but they don't, they're not really interesting, I guess, beyond well, that one. Yeah, thing. I almost feel like like they almost just represent the collective like they are just yeah. the uh, like all the other guys are individuals sure but they are just the committee right and the, yeah. the central planning committee and they all kind of play the same role in the sense of they're just members of that committee right right and there's like you know there's there's several of these guys and um i, you know, I saw this movie just uh, described as an ensemble cast but i don't know if it really goes that far there's really only like four of them that are like kind of important um, and there, you really do have two main ones, which is Beria and Khrushchev, played by uh, Simon Russell Beale and um, uh, C. Buscemi. Yeah. Um, so the the only really exception to this is uh, Jeffrey Tambor's Gregory Malenkov, who is Stalin's deputy and the de facto leader under Beria and Khrushchev. Um, and they try both try to to manipulate him. He's soft and slow and seems completely overwhelmed by every situation he's in. Yet this this weakness is sometimes shown as shouting and demanding. Um, he, you know, there's that one part where the, the aide comes in with like the box, right? That Barry had called in. He says, I have no time for your horse shit right now. He's like <laughs> shouting at him in the middle of this thing. But like, 
ultimately he's he's just so insecure that he can't seem to deal with any situation oh and yeah ultimate ultimately he's totally pushed up by the other characters to agree with whatever plot they come up with he he's just so, does whatever they say oh yeah he's so obviously insecure like in so many situations where he tries to seem powerful it just exposes yeah. that insecurity further like yeah like you were talking about in that portrait photo somebody makes fun of him says something and he like when he walks away he's like don't you ever you know in like mock yeah. me in front of people like that and it's like okay dude it's not that serious like and <laughs> right, then the, right. and when steve buscemi um like is trying to when they're at the wake and they're trying to talk around like they're standing yes. in a formation and he's like hey ask him this he's like don't give me commands and then he still asks him it's like <laughs> dude you're so insecure he's not trying to like what like the power grab yeah, 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 here yeah. he's literally just asking you to do something yeah it's, he does uh, stand up for himself just a little bit but not enough for it to well, like he does matter. it in the most insecure way though oh, like yeah. he does it in a way where it's like Dude, I wasn't even trying to like front with you. Like you're you're getting scared of of just a normal request or just a conversation. Yeah, you know, he's letting yeah. it go it, to his head. Unfortunately, like the story doesn't seem that much character driven as much as it is just kind of like the plot's gonna happen kind of thing. You yeah. Know? Well, actually, the, that's how I kind of felt, especially with the way that it ended. I was like, I don't really feel like I was rooting for anybody, or or like mm -hmm. there was even a uh a character arc that I was supposed to be following. It's just here's literally what happened you know and, yeah. and once you take into context that this is a you know based on historical events you can be like okay they, they just had to do the stuff that happened they don't necessarily have to sell me on a character or justify one winning over the other yeah absolutely um and uh, speaking of the ending barry's trial and death the ending under movie is truly like it's horrific to watch i feel like the tone takes a sharp dive at that point of course, Beria is a monster. I mean, he, besides the millions he's responsible for killing, he often raped female prisoners and, with the promise that if they gave him what he wanted, he would spare their husbands' lives. And he was, of course, a pedophile. Um, but he quickly stopped the death list from going out, and he's revealed he saved his friend's wife from being executed, including and his friend, too. He, he does seem to care about something beyond just power. And when he is gagged and pleading for his life, it's disturbing, um, partly because the people that are doing the execution are also monsters, um, and they are complicit in Stalin and Beria's actions. And they, or at least Khrushchev, only seem to care about gaining power and doing anything to get that. When Beria dies, there's no sense that justice is served, just that one less person is in the way. Yeah, Just like you said, like you're like... Like, am I happy that Barry died? Because, like, in some in some situations, like sometimes you're like, "Wow, he's a f he's terrible. Uh, he's oh, the yeah. worst one." No and other times you're like, sometimes you're like, oh, "I kind of respect him because he's like he's like full of action. He always is a step ahead. He's thinking clearly. You know, he he knows what he wants. And in some cases, he's like does the right thing. So it's like you're a little confused on him. And I do like his portrayal in this movie. Um, and then having him killed doesn't make you feel better about it. It doesn't make you feel like anything was done for the right reasons you know yeah it doesn't feel like the so, good guys are taking over now it just feels like one like you said like one monster died and there's other yes. monsters still there's like, still lots of by the hand of the other monsters because they're by nature they are monsters like yes. <laughs> you know what i mean yes and, and i i really agree with you saying that like the uh the tone shifts here because especially and i can condense it to one moment when you know throughout this throughout this movie there's scenes where something dramatic is happening but because there's all these buffoons in the yes. scene it's funny you know something that should be more serious like when they're like uh taking stalin's brain out or whatever like 
everybody's reaction to it is is like they're like looking away and and then you know all these like hilarious things occur it's easy to laugh at but then in this situation there's a potentially funny moment when Beria is like tied up and sitting in the chair and he's like to Malenkov he's like he can't even look at me because Malenkov is the last person to betray him his closest ally who is now finally joining the committee and, and betraying him and Malenkov is like literally looking the other direction like yes which is is he just looks so um you know weak and and yeah like he that's all he can do uh but it's not funny it's like horrifying because yes you you see how he sees it too he's like i'm literally killing my friend right now and um and i agree like it's 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 a def like not a funny moment which you know in a movie full of similar moments that are you know passably funny that one is just tough to watch it's just yeah scary and 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 that part is full of this dialogue too where they're saying one thing but meaning another right because they're all saying like oh you know kick him in the head or like good riddance or all this stuff but like they were working they were perfectly happy to work with him before and they were all buddy buddy with him before and maybe that was just an act maybe they really do feel like he should die or anything but again they're just saying it to to justify it to themselves just like they were always praising stalin when stalin was alive you know, it's this it's this constant disingenuousness uh, to serve a political goal when we're. Um, yes. And that's that's so true. And <laughs> just think back to earlier in the movie when we have uh, Khrushchev and uh, Beria like bumping like their chests together yes. in slow motion, <laughs> like the, to, to go from there to here. It's really um you know it is they they really were just doing it for political reasons like it it doesn't really matter what their actual relationship was um one more one more thing so the um there to kind of juxtapose juxtapose the two like um like how hilarious this movie is but also how terrifying it is there's that one scene right after uh their uh vasily shows up the stalin's son and he he's like angry that they're taking his brain out um and he like starts wrestling this guy for his gun and they're all just standing like everyone else is just standing there like uncomfortable just like waiting and this other and this like poor guard is like wrestling for his life because this guy because this madman is going to take his gun and shoot him if he gets the chance and everyone's just kind of standing there like and i'm like is anyone going to help him like they're just going <laughs> to let this happen it's yeah. so ridiculous that was a hilarious scene especially because it seemed like he wasn't going to be able to get it like he was just no, he was just like totally struggling and then, but this poor like officer is just standing there like oh my god like i am on the like i am inches from death right now if this guy gets like if i don't fight him with every inch of me like <laughs> oh man yeah. I, I i do i actually want to continue to touch on that here in a second but let me first say that whenever we watch historical movies i feel like it's always a trip for me mm-hmm. because um, I'm a product of the American public school system. And well, let's just say history is not my strong suit. So just like any other historical movies like Vice, like the whole time I'm wondering how much of this is real, as well as getting my mind blown by things that probably a lot of people already knew that are news to me. So right. like one of the things that was super interesting for me uh, in this movie was the portrayal of life in the Soviet Union. Like as a common person, it seems like you just do whatever the state commands. Truth is made up and you are told what to believe. This is made even clearer when power shifts and a whole new set of things becomes true. Like the new lists scene was <laughs> her, like, that was ridiculous where they just like new lists, like you people 
people out of the gulag, you people into the gulag. That was like some Order 66 like yes. like uh like stuff, you know? It's just like suddenly new rules, new things yeah. are true. Uh, no justification. It's just this is how it is because the state determines what reality is. I mean, I think somebody even says that. Beria says like we're in a new reality, um, mm. and it's like yeah, that is literally what it is. That's you couldn't put it any better. Um, so like, I think the concerto performance at the beginning is such a great way to display this because you get this juxtaposition of people being like herded up at gunpoint and taken away to gulags but at the same time this one conductor is being forced in the same way but instead of going to the gulag he's going to to, to uh conduct this concerto like in no his one... pajamas yeah yeah, yeah but yeah. he's like, gonna die like he's like i guess it's my time like like it doesn't like all these people are like i i know this is wrong i know they have no evidence but they're gonna kill me just because you know what exactly. i mean exactly so like uh, I guess, like, tell she tells his wife, tell them whatever you have to. Just like, you know, yeah. I, I think I'm gonna die today because I think they're coming for me. You know, but yeah, turns out just, no, they're actually needing him for something else. It's just part of living in Soviet Russia. Like, no one has any agency, and their fate right. is entirely in the hands of the state. In some cases, that means death. In other cases, it means conducting a concerto. Like, it it really puts <laughs> in perspective, like tracking down alleged traitors of the state and fulfilling the request that a concerto be recorded are pursued with the same urgency and the same potentially deadly consequences. Like, and on top of that, people are pulled in off the street to be part of the audience. So that the acoustics would be the same thing. And they don't really resist. Like, it seems like they're just walking by and then someone is like, Hey, by order of the state, you have to watch this concerto. And they're like, mm, okay. You know, <laughs> I don't not, I'm, I mean, the, if the state says I have to do it, I have to do it. So then they come in and sit down they don't even like the music or care. They're just yeah. there, you know, just doing whatever they do. Like they're so used to this, uh, like, being told what to do that it makes little difference to them exactly what that doing is hmm. which is it just it's i don't know scary to think that that is kind of what it was like you know where people were just so reserved to um having no autonomy and the in the uh you know government telling you this is what it is this is what's true this is what you have to do yeah definitely so um, I think this and this is also I mean, this this transcends just the common people. Um, it's, it also is affects our the, the leaders here, as we see in this next scene, um, the kind of government mandated uh, cognitive dissonance uh, that goes through Soviet Russia. So let's go ahead and play that. All right, comrades. Now that we're quarant, I propose we call a doctor. All the best doctors are in the gulag or dead. Yes. Yes, because they tried to kill the boss. So any doctor still in Moscow is not a good doctor. What are people's thoughts on getting a bad doctor? What the fuck are you talking about? That's mad. What if he recovers and finds out? Well, if he recovers, then we got a good doctor. And if he doesn't recover, then we didn't, but he won't know. So first off, <laughs> this really happened as far as like getting rid of all the good doctors. It was yes. called the doctor's plot or wikipedia also had it listed under killer doctors uh but it was an anti-semitic campaign organized by stalin to accuse jewish doctors of plotting to assassinate soviet leaders uh and so but it wasn't just against jewish doctors like jewish doctors and newish uh, non-jewish doctors were fired arrested and tortured to produce uh fabricated uh admissions and um later on after stalin's excuse me after stalin's death they uh the the government was like yeah that was all fake um yeah so. well actually so i have a, i have more to add to this so yeah. 
1945, Stalin suffered a heart attack and several strokes, and the 65-year-old's health never recovered. So then six years later, Stalin went in for a normal checkup, and the doctor told him that he needed to spend less time working and more time resting, which Stalin did not take well, because he used actually a similar story to help him get rid of Lenin 30 years later. He said, oh, oh, he's sick. He needs to be, you know, he needs to stay out. So eventually he had that doctor captured and accused of being a British spy. So like, the, the uh, um, yeah, the, uh, the plot against doctors was a, was kind of a deep seated one, but this was like, this was famously like uh, Stalin's last like decree was like let's get rid of all the doctors <laughs> they're they're plotting against me yes well i mean i think it's great satire of the self-destructive nature of stalinism like yeah they did it to themselves they eliminated all the doctors and now they need a doctor and they're screwed like and again it's, it goes beyond that not only is that self-destructive but beyond that they're worried that if they get a doctor and he does his job that that could come back and harm them so yes. it's almost in their better interest to just let stalin die because then they don't have to worry about the repercussions of what a live stalin might do to them it's it's i don't know <laughs> And, and the fact that it's so close to reality, you know, uh, to what actually happened is what's so bizarre to think that this is actually how things went down uh, to yeah. a large degree. Um, so it's, and, I mean, it's hilarious in this moment, but it's also terrifying to think about and, and how it really existed. Um, like, yeah, it, and, and it, it goes, yeah, it goes beyond that too. Like Stalinism it's a because I, I know that they talk about socialism in this movie being like what's going on, but it, it, Stalinism has its own unique uh, attributes that make oh, it what it is. Because he's um, a tyrant and a dictator for sure, you know. Right. And right. he has this cult of personality. I mean, that's the thing is like I, I didn't. It took me until like I was thinking about this movie more to realize that like the reason why they are the the cabinet is so. Um, insistent on stopping executions because it affects them directly because they are they can be subjects of it and yet they're terrified to even do that even though like how can that possibly be popular like the, the fact that they like are even hesitant at all about like let's stop doing this it makes you like realize just kind of the hold that stalin had over them and the whole country you know even after he was dead laying in the bed or, or like basically dead um they were all like uh, I don't know. Like uh, we can still, he can still get us. Like you know, yeah. we're like he he had that power. He had that like like that cult of personality. You know, to ho hold sway over an entire nation um, without like um, you know without them really being able to do anything about it. No, I totally agree. Like watching these like quote unquote like powerful men um try to navigate that i think is some of the funniest parts of this movie like the yeah. dialogue that takes place when all these guys have to get together and decide things um i think produces some of the funniest moments um it, you know when they're out of the public eye it's easy to see that these men are just buffoons that are desperate to gain power um and i think that that's ripe a target for satire um just because some of them succeed does not mean they stop being buffoons they still <laughs> it's still easy to laugh at them um, right. i i think and speaking of what you were just saying um this next quote i think exemplifies that all those in favor of pausing the arrests of pausing the executions all those in favor hmm i've always been loyal to stalin Always. And these arrests were authorized by Stalin. But Stalin was also loyal to the collective leadership, and that is true loyalty. However, 
He also had an iron will, undeviating, strong. Should we not do the same and stick to what we believed in? No. It is stronger still to forge our own beliefs with the beliefs of the collective leadership, which I have now done. Carried unanimously. Thank you. <laughs> like after hearing this little spiel it's so clear that these guys don't believe in anything you know it's a constant dance to try to say the right thing for specifically right now and never appear to be going against the collective loyalty to whatever is the right answer currently everything they right. vote on is decided unanimously which means it's not a real vote it's just conformity that like Khrushchev is supposed to be the progressive reformer, but he gets frustrated when Beria suggests the same ideas because, I mean, maybe he really does want these like uh, arrests and executions to stop, um, possibly for self-preservation reasons, possibly because he actually cares about the people of Russia. But that's really not that important because he's mostly interested in winning the support of the people so he can gain more power. That's right, what's which is really what important. exactly he accuses Barry of doing. He yes. says, like, Barry is only doing this to win power, like, win favor of the people, which is what his plan was. Yeah, that's... I, I think this quote, like, uh, if you watch this play out, it's a lot more clear what you're saying about how they don't really believe in anything because... Like throughout this, this is this quote is told by um, uh, Michael Palin, who plays Molotov, um, and he's like the most staunch St Stalin loyalist in this whole business. And he, um, he's like everyone else in the room is like raising their hands as he's like saying yes, I want to do this, and then lowering them as he's saying no, I don't think we should do this. Like over and over again, they're just like up and down, up and down, and eventually he does like raise his hand and say yes, I think we should stop the executions, whatever, and like. I guess on its surface, I feel like the the quote itself seems like a, it follows some sort of logic. It was like, oh, he's gonna he's gonna come to a place where he agrees, but it's so clear that he's just kind of washing back and forth about like what he thinks is the right thing. It doesn't really have an opinion one way or the other. It's right. just like, um, yeah, it, it's a uh, I don't know. It is clear that like these people are just like you know, selfish power grabbers in a, in a way. Just trying to stay on the right side for now. You know, whatever it yeah, is yeah. the popular opinion right now, that's where they want to land. Right. So I, um, and speaking of the people, like gaining the support of the people, the normal people of Russia play an important role in this film uh, in the way that they show their loyalty to Stalin after his death. Like having them all come to the city causes the massacre and, and, and moves the plot forward. Um, no one is forcing them to show up for the wake. They, they mention that. Um, mm. No one is forcing them to come to the funeral. They want to because they love their leader. And this is going back kind of what I said earlier, but I, I wish we could have seen how they were convinced to love him despite the brutality of Stalin's totalitarian state like it's I'm genuinely interested in that because it seems like how could you possibly brainwash people into thinking that this is good but it's really effective the way they did I mean did I did some research on my own and found that like the in the Soviet like under in, under Stalinism you were supposed to like regard your relationship with Stalin above your relationship with your parents like that was mm. more important that you value him over them um, and there was all this really and honestly, a lot of it is the aesthetic, but like the, the beautiful artwork they created as propaganda to try to get people to, you know, um, become loyal to Stalin himself. So um, 
I just think this was an opportunity to satirize that even that they could have made fun of how that happened. Um, you know, go, do some sort of a hyperbolic thing where it's like Stalin can lift a thousand trains or something or you yeah, know, just yeah. anything like that to show us just that it was not because he was a good leader that these people loved him. It was because that they were brainwashed to, and there's propaganda that tricked them into loving him. Um, but it, again, it, it, I, I think we've covered that it, this movie was more about, what happens to the leadership around Stalin right after, not necessarily just the people, um, although it does cover kind of both. And um, so, yeah, I, I thought that was really interesting. And honestly, it's got me just on my own doing a little bit more research, learning about this era of history, mm. because I, it's there's a lot I don't know. Yeah, I don't know anything either. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, it's not, I guess, it's not great to take a movie like this and be like, this is how I'll learn about it. You know, you got to do something else, like look at actual history. But uh, it's a good jumping off point, I think. But um, okay, let's move on to our cool Easter eggs, Joey. What, what have you got for us? Okay, I got a quote uh, to lead off my first one. Um, here we go. Georgie, Georgie, you have no. to sign this now. No, no, he deserves a fair trial. He's one of us. What about Tukhachevsky and Pietikov? Did they get a trial? What about Sokolnikov, who begged him to look after his elderly mother? And what did this monster do? He strangled her in front of him. It's too late. The only choice we have is between his death or his revenge. And you will fucking sign this. Okay, so this is, um, this is... Khrushchev's final moment when he's going to turn Mal uh, Malenkov against Beria. Um, so he's, he has to, he's the last person in the cabinet to go against Beria. He has to get him to sign the paper that says, like, this is, he's going to execute him or he's going to go to a trial or something. Um, and he brings up these three names, which I did some research on. Uh, Tush Tush oh, my gosh. <laughs> Tukhachevsky nice. is, he's uh, known as the Red Napoleon. Um, and he commanded the Soviet Western Front in the Polish-Soviet War. And he was successful in pushing back the Polish forces, but the Soviets overall lost the war. Um, and he was branded officially as a fascist and a fifth columnist and tortured and executed. Um, and his name was later cleared during Khrushchev's secret speech in 1956, which I will talk about a little bit later. Um, uh, then there's... Uh, 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 Pytikov uh, was a far right left politician and a member of Lenin's uh, Bolsheviks. Um, Lenin and him were actually opponents within this faction, uh, but they were both part of that same like political party. Um, they are accused. Uh, he was accused of anti-Soviet actions, conspiring with the Nazis and working with uh, Trotsky, one of Stalin's most vocal opponents, and was uh, posthumously uh, forgiven uh, by Gorbachev in 1988. And then there's Sokolnikov. Uh, who is also a Bol uh, Bolshevik. Uh, he was more right-leaning than uh, Pytikov and Trotsky, but uh, he was coerced into testifying against Trotsky and himself and ended up in the gulag for 10 years. And while he was in prison, uh, he was under under direct orders from Beria and Stalin. He was assassinated. Um, uh, so, and I don't think his name was ever officially cleared, but everyone kind of, I guess, uh, uh, nowadays we know the difference that he was um, coerced into this confession um uh most likely because they threatened his family uh not necessarily direct torture so these were real guys who were really killed by the Stalin regime who were, had significant power and were possibly friends with these guys at least uh Sokolnikov um Beria knew and uh Tuchkovsky Tuchkovsky I can't oh my say gosh. 
Tukachevsky? Tukachevsky. We'll go. Let's move on. Okay. He was he knew Khrushchev as well. So okay. These guys, you know, had were real people from history. Yeah, I was impressed with while this movie does not claim to be 100% accurate there's a lot that they get right and even even if it's just through references kind of like the doctor's plot there's a lot of like references to real history in here um which i think is really good um so this i thought something that was kind of interesting um that kind of just tells you where russia's at now is this movie was banned uh in russia in 2018 two days before it was due to be released and the cultural ministry which i didn't even know that was a thing that said that the distribute the distribution certificate for the film the death of stalin has been withdrawn uh one member of the cultural ministry's advisory board was quoted as saying the film desecrates our historical symbols the soviet hymn orders and medals and marshal zukov is portrayed as an idiot Uh, (laughs) and added that this movie's release in advance of the 75th anniversary of the end of the battle of stalingrad would be an affront to russia's world war ii veterans Mm. so um i mean this movie definitely doesn't put russia in a positive light but i i do think it's interesting that they they take uh this much action to ban it um it still i think tells you kind of where they're at still culturally in russia definitely um, and i think like that's interesting too because like stalin isn't regarded as like a great leader by russians today um you know he's kind of regarded as like you know a tyrant so it's um it's interesting that they took kind of this approach but i guess the other other people in that in the story who are not portrayed well like zukov sure and um you know I think this might be just a like uh, attempt to discourage people to look into Russian history in general. Right. No, I totally agree. Um, another thing I was interesting, I've been holding my tongue to bring this up until now uh, because I think it's super, you know, you notice it immediately when you start watching the movie, but writer and director Armando Iannucci insisted on not having the characters speak with Russian accents for two reasons. He thought it would take audiences out of the movie and he did not want the actors and actresses to worry about their accents when improvising. In a promotional interview on BBC Radio 5 for the UK release, Inucci stated that Russian journalists who had previewed this movie praised the decision. And ultimately, I I, I like this decision, um, but I did think it was interesting to decide to just totally throw away the, even the premise of trying to pretend that they're speaking Russian uh, in this Well, movie. I mean, I, no, I, don't th- I think that's, like, obvious. I think that the... the, the um like think about like translation as a concept right like there's so many different ways to translate something there's to literally translate the words individually and then there's to translate the what they mean you know right so like expressions idioms and things like that don't necessarily translate directly um and so you have to translate what the meaning of that is into um english and so letting them speak as if they are just speaking instead of like putting on this false accent or something. Cause like Russians don't have Russian accents to other Russians. Right. You know what I mean? So it doesn't really make sense to like put that on and they're speaking in a way that people who are watching the movie can understand. And I think that's like, I think that's, that's commendable. It reminds me a lot of like Valkyrie. You ever see that movie? I haven't. With Tom Cruise. It's a, it's about like uh, a, a, a plot to kill um, a Hitler by uh, high ranking Germans. 
And um, at the very beginning of the movie, they're speaking in German and it fades into them speaking into English with like, you know, um, English accents. And it just shows you like, we're going to speak in English in this movie because it makes sense and it's easier than you having to read subtitles all the time. We don't really care that like they spoke German at the time. The point is we're trying to tell the story in a, for English audiences. So right. it, like, and they don't have to spell that out. Like it becomes obvious. And I think this movie does something similar and it doesn't even address that or, or, or force it on anyone. They all just have their own unique accents and manners of speaking that fits together. So yeah, I, I, I agree with this decision. I think it's a good one. Yeah, I, I do too, especially, like you said, to make it accessible to English-speaking audiences because you could potentially make the same movie with subtitles, and uh, I, I, at the very least, think it would be less funny. Um, so it's, yeah, I think it's a great idea to do. I um, thought it was interesting, though, that they had Russian speaking common people though in the, mm. I had subtitles on and uh, th when the, like there's the scenes at that we first get introduced to the lists and all the uh, soldiers are coming into the apartments and, and people are getting rounded up. Uh, one of the subtitles was like, speaking in russian <laughs> like it says that and you could hear people being heard around say, speaking in a different language i assume russian so um i was like at that moment i was like wait a second wait a second so the leaders are speaking english <laughs> like <laughs> but of right, course right, that's right. not it of course that's not it um i just thought that was funny and, and you know definitely something to consider when you make a movie that takes place in a different countries but i i agree with your assessment that it was the right choice to make uh, even without trying to adhere to some sort of Russian accent. Um, and finally, the estimates, this is just something that blew my mind. Um, just This is actually not an Easter egg for the movie, but just an Easter <laughs> fact about history. The estimates by the historian Roy Medvedev uh, placed the number of victims killed by Stalin's regime at 40 million people, uh, which, you know, seeing in this movie, you can, you know, extrapolate how much carnage there must have been over stalin's like what 23 year regime yeah. um to be out be killing people like this consistently uh, is just unimaginable oh yeah i mean there's i mean yeah it's crazy it's crazy the number of people that were killed just like in general i mean not just through world war ii like it just it, by being a citizen yeah it, yeah i think we can talk about that now uh, a little bit more in my next section Yes, I agree. Um, Joey, I believe you know what time it is. It is time for us to go a little deeper. deeper, deeper. So I wanted to fact check a couple of the things in this movie. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a few things that got wrong that I felt like weren't that important, but I thought there were some that were interesting. Um, one, uh, one of the things was the doctor's plot, which we've already covered. Um, but according to the Smithsonian, I found this article... Uh, Stalin, Stalin's paranoia was bringing back memories of the Great Purge in his later years, which was this period of time in 1936-1938 where normal citizens uh, were targeted and killed. It's estimated that between 680,000 and 1.2 million people were killed during this time. Um, this frightened Stalin's inner circle and would have given them sufficient motive to poison him. And actually, his last meal included fruit juice, where a poison could have easily be, been hidden. However, there's no evidence that this is actually what happened. But they, the uh, inner circle would have had enough like, motive to do that, basically. And it is true that Beria was forced out by the other members of Stalin's uh, uh, Politburo, uh, which is the Russian word for their uh, cabinet. But this, um, 
process took months, not days. Khrushchev was instrumental in it, uh, but actually this presided, and it actually was the one that presided over the meeting that reorganized the government, not Gregory Melenkov, as it's shown in the movie. Like that, that scene that we were just, uh, we just had the quote from, that was actually, um, Khrushchev was actually in charge of that, that meeting. When that, but that meeting really did happen. Also, Khrushchev was prompted to kick Beria out to the curb by Beria's contempt for the other party members and actions that would have led to the USSR losing power in East Berlin. The death of the 1,500 mourners was exaggerated from 109 who were trampled to death during the funeral. I guess in 1953, it's just a lot easier to just die from doing normal things like going to a funeral. <laughs> so the 109 people did die during that time, but it wasn't because they were shot. It was because they were just because crowds are dangerous um so it didn't lead that those deaths didn't lead to barrier's ousting no there was a um there was a different event there's an uprising in east berlin uh where people were killed and uh khrushchev used that as leverage to get rid of barrier because barrier did not want to have power he he wanted to give east germany back to germany actually um and didn't want to have any piece of that he was actually kind of against the Soviet Union as a whole in general. He wasn't Russian. And so he didn't trust the Russians to rule over all this land. And and he was he complained about many Stalins, like people that were like like Stalin, like other dictators rising up in other areas of the world. Um, and he was afraid of that too, because he did not trust Stalin. Um, and so I wanted to go a little bit more into Khrushchev as well, because I think he's actually pretty interesting. Khrushchev was a strong believer in socialism and its superiority over capitalism. And he ruled until 1964, or he was taken over by um, Leonid, uh, Leonid uh, Brezhnev, uh, who you see in the movie um, at the very, very end, um, him like looking over his shoulder at the opera. Um, Khrushchev became, gave a speech in 1956 called On the Cult of Personality and Its Consequences, which was a resounding denouncement of Stalin and Stalinism. He, but he was a pure ideologue. He thought there was no harm in dealing with the Americans because he believed capitalism to be inevitably destroyed by socialism. socialism. And he actually became the first Russian head of state to visit America in 1959. His adherence to ideology extended to the promotion of a man named Trofim Lysenko and his agricultural pseudoscience. Basically, this idea was that, like a socialist, plants will not compete for resources directly, and uh, more of them will make themselves stronger. So if you put them closer together in a field, they'll work together to be a stronger plant, Hmm. uh, which is not true. That does sound (laughs) like pseudoscience. (laughs) It is. But it was based in, like, socialist propaganda or socialist belief that people together will work, will divide up resources evenly and become stronger as a, as a unit. Um, so that's what this meant was that plants need to be planted as close together as possible, basically right on top of each other. And Khrushchev loved this idea so much that he gave Lysenko crazy amounts of power and it's led to a massive crop failures and millions of people starving. Um, Khrushchev was also responsible for launching Soviets into space. He was in power when the Russians won the space race by launching Sputnik, and then in 1961, the first man in space, Yuri uh, Gagarin. So, um, you know, he was a pretty uh, pretty big player in history, basically. Yeah, no, definitely. And I honestly, if they were ever to make a sequel to Death of Stalin, it should definitely be Khrushchev Goes to America. And we get to see all the, like, wacky <laughs> Coming to America? Games. Yeah, he comes, he goes, like, walking down, to, you know, uh, to Times Square, and he gets, right, like, right. a cheeseburger. I would love to see that. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, 
so yeah, I, I thought that was pretty interesting. And um, but in his later years, he also became very paranoid and like started trying to oust his political opponents and stuff. And they eventually voted him out because he was becoming more and more of a dictator. And um, and that was you know all part of it was it's kind of cyclical in a way. You know the uh, of Russian history. Uh, you know these these guys come to power, they build this cult of personality, and then they become paranoid in their later years, and then they eventually get ousted in one way or the other. So it's um yeah, it's, it's interesting. cult of personality. It's kind of a dangerous thing, kind of one and of it, these things. And in some ways, Beria was right about like because because uh, despite Khrushchev's adherence to socialism, he ended up losing control of Berlin. Um, in other parts of the Soviet Union, and that ended up kind of collapsing. Um, and it was years and years later, but it turns out that, you know, Barry's resistance to that expansion was probably uh, the right move. So it's interesting. Anyway, um, the, the other thing I want to talk about is why was this made when it was? This movie came out in uh, 2018, um, and... Um, which is right in the middle of, of course, Donald Trump's administration. And there's actually, you know, basically any movie about history of politics that comes out during this time is kind of a commentary on Trump and his administration because people just can't resist giving their takes. Um, well, and Stalin, also he's so in your face. Everything oh, yeah. is about Trump. Is You can't help it's it. It's true. If you're talking politics in this era, it's it's somehow tangentially related. And although, like, you know, I wouldn't say Donald Trump is a is a dictator the way Stalin is. Stalin's administration shares some of the attributes that Donald Trump's does. For example, Donald Trump is famous for his demands of loyalty. Um, there is, he's, there's this, uh, this um, article from Politico where he said to a federal bureau of investigations head um, that I need loyalty, I expect loyalty. Um, he is famous for his calls for loyalty and that if people weren't loyal enough to him that he kicks them out or give, demotes them or whatever. Any resistance is uh, met with all like as much as silly as possible. Some people even say that he's he is like more like um, what's the word like more mean or like more um, vindent like vindictive against Republicans than he is against Democrats because he because he expects loyalty from his political allies. Also, uh, conspiracy theories. I found this thing on uh, Wikipedia, which is just a list of uh, conspiracy theories that Donald Trump has has um, uh, perpetuated. And uh, there's I listed some of my favorites. One of them, voter fraud, uh, which is still very ripe right now. Yep. Immigration, especially like Syrian refugees are actually ISIS. They're not refugees. Uh, birtherism, a <laughs> uh, famous one about yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Barack Obama. Global warming is a Chinese hoax. Classic. Uh, and wind turbines <laughs> cause cancer, which is a also a great one. Um, so yeah, just like general like disinformation is also a, a characteristic that Donald Trump's administration shares with um, Stalin's. Uh, then uh, there's the, the transition of power. While there is a precedent and normal general procedure for transitioning power in the U.S., uh, like most things, this is based on a functioning that most things in our functioning democracy, and I put functioning in quote, quotes here. There are they're not enshrined in law or solidified. They're just norms. As such, there's no upper limit on the chaos that can occur during a transition period. And the death of Stalin shows how a government that's in transition can be so unstable, especially since no one could actively plan 
for Stalin's death, basically, right? There was there was some like you know laws, I guess, that we see about how transition should happen, but because like there was no like structure in place which allowed Khrushchev and Beria to struggle for that uh, existential power and for um, like Khrushchev to not even really change his title as much as just gain power by having what like understanding what he controlled. You know what I mean? So it was like. Uh, it's just so fluid in that way. And our, like, our democracy is a little more um, structured, but it still it relies on all of these norms, all of these things that we just expect to happen because you expect people to act decently and to respect our process. But that's not necessarily has to happen. And because of that, anything can happen. Yeah. So, well, do you feel like um, is the reason that it wasn't really a path forward after Stalin's death uh, because it was kind of like Stalin won't die kind of thing where it's like he's the, our grand leader. Like, why are you preparing for his death? Are you going to kill him? You know, that kind right. of thing. Yeah, I think it's exactly it. Because any any talk about Stalin dying was probably met with them, that person being killed. You know what I mean? And I think I think that's the reason why you see Gregory uh, Melenkov, um like he, why he is the deputy because he's so weak. You know, he's so he he doesn't even want to be in politics really. According to stuff I read in Wikipedia, he's actually like an artist and like surrounded himself with like artists and stuff. And he did not have any interest in politics, and that's why he was probably deputy because he causes no threat to Stalin while Stalin is alive. Ah, I see. You know what I mean? So, yeah. The last the last similarity that I want to bring up between Donald Trump's administration and Stalin's was jailing of political opponents. Although it's, Trump has not done this, uh, he has attempted to. Um, from Politico, there is a, a, a after he got out of um, uh, Walter Reed Hospital from recovering from COVID, he tweeted and addressed uh, um, Barr about um, or you know uh, William Barr about saying, "Where are the arrests? Where are the people that?" Um, I need to like that are saying stuff against me, and and of course like there's the whole lock her up chant um, that's, yes. that was prevalent during 2016, and it kind of came back again when they were talking about some of the um, uh, brown members of Congress uh, talking about how they needed to get out of the country or lock them up. They this is a a, a, a um, common refrain within the Trump administration. There's even a meme that uh, Trump. Um, uh, what's it called uh, retweeted uh it's a bunch of uh people in, behind bars uh, here i can describe it to you it's a bunch of like democrats and other like prominent like um politicians all behind bars and they all looking kind of sad um and it says um in big impact font now that russia collusion is a proven lie when do the trials for treason begin and it's all nice. about so uh he's got robin Mueller in here he's got hillary clinton barack obama um, Barack Hussein uh, Obama. Sorry, uh, Huma uh, Abedin, James Clapper, Bill Clinton, James Comey, and of course Rod, uh, Rod Rosenstein, who was a member, was a current member of Trump's administration <laughs> during that time, just like in the background here. And so the article was like, "What does Rod like? What did Rod Rosenstein ever do? Like, why is he on this list?" <laughs> so, oh, um, man. yeah, it's a, uh, it's it's certainly a a part of that and um you know yeah. you you can see there are some tri there are some you know similarities there between uh, the cult of personality that Stalin has established and uh the one we're currently living in oh for sure and it's actually to tie it back to why we actually like why I proposed that the two of us watch and talk about this movie was back during uh 
when Trump actually caught coronavirus and there was people thinking, oh my gosh, I mean, he's definitely mm. the demographic that is most vulnerable to this virus. He, uh, you know, there's the potential that maybe Trump could die in office and people brought this movie up, like reference this movie is like, that might be what it would be like if Trump were to die right now, all the uh, buffoons he's got surrounding him would be <laughs> stuck with a power vacuum and to see yes. how that would actually play out. I mean, at the time, a lot of people were talking about the line of succession for the presidency and exactly who becomes like president next, depending on who dies. Uh, and that got me thinking about this movie. Uh, so it was kind of why we, we, we kind of watched this movie because Trump got coronavirus. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> well, that's true too, because the, like the 25th amendment is also like weirdly vague because, and like it, it's interesting because there's a lot about it that like is like when they wrote it, it was long overdue because there was not really a plan for succession um, before then. And so they were like, well, we have this big hole in our system. We need to fill it. And eventually, 20, you know, 25 amendments later, they were able to. Um, but even now, it's not extremely clear about what that means because like the, the wording is so vague about like what it means to be un unfit for office that like you could, you could make the argument that like if he displays some sort of mental deficiency that he could be and people have done that for you know literally four years saying like oh he's unfit for office he should be replaced right uh because he you know he's a narcissist or he's paranoid or and that's like evidence of something and, you know i was looking at like trying to look up like is donald trump paranoid and there's all these articles about like these people like psychologists diagnosing him from a distance right which violates something called the goldwater rule which was like you can't actually psychologists have a responsibility not to diagnose people unless they actually like can be there with them doing it at a distance is dangerous because you can't trust the information that's coming through the media a hundred percent so like it's just interesting that like people have thought that he was unfit for a long time and then like when he actually is there's a date like a very close danger of him dying like we're still unsure about what that means and where that goes from there, you know, because like, it, again, it was so close to the election and everything. Would it be Mike Pence on the ballot? Would it be somebody else? You know, it, it becomes like this whole thing basically that we have just never really dealt with in a very responsible way. Because again, it's based on norms. It's based on people like acting in good faith and thinking that and acting like they believe that our system works uh, when, uh, you know, it doesn't have to if you don't believe in it <laughs> right right and you know at, at least we could punt on that issue for now trump is yeah. fine he's he got the the medicine and there won't be the death of trump released mm. in you know 50 years in russia right that's all <laughs> russian spoken language <laughs> so um okay well i think that wraps up our discussion on the death of stalin as we do at the end of every episode we will deliver our ratings and i'll go first uh okay. joey i give this movie a unanimous vote of approval <laughs> awesome <laughs> that's great um i give this movie uh secreted away by baria until stalin is dead nice so he's uh he's like left in the gulag, but they they told him he was killed, but they didn't. So Barry <laughs> kept him in a closet somewhere, uh, just in time for uh when he's in power. Secreted away, I like it. So uh, Joey, what's next on Affable Chat? Next movie we're doing is Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Yes, Harry, the third in that uh series. We're skipping the other ones. We're just yeah. doing the third one. 
Yes. <laughs> uh, highly regarded. I, I've, I, you know, I've been told it's the best one. Uh, we'll be the judge of that on our it has next time travel, episode. so it can't be bad. Yes. <laughs> uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And wherever you listen to us, make sure you leave us a review because it does help us grow. You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Affable Chat. We just uh, surpassed 5,000 followers on TikTok. So definitely get over there to see our wildly uh, amusing <laughs> and uh, deeply uh, introspective content we're creating Ooh. over there on TikTok. <laughs> or you can send us an email, affablechat at gmail.com. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel. It's called Affable Chat. Affable Chat is live on Tuesday nights, 7 p.m. Eastern on Twitch, twitch.tv slash affablechat. Come hang out with us live every Tuesday night. And I think that's going to do it for this discussion on the death of Stalin. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. gonna hope that i don't drop any frames this time we'll see okay <laughs> okay yeah that hoping <laughs> just let me uh take a quick hit of uh hopium right quick nice uh <laughs> dude, that, like hopium and copium have been so like important for this era of politics because uh the, there's people who are on who are are uh, on both sides yeah, well, there's people who are overdosing on... Ho yeah, they are on both sides because the people who are liberals or leftists are hitting that hopium, thinking that Joe Biden is actually going to bring forth like progressive reform. Mm, and yeah. then the Trumpers are all like really overdosing on copium, trying to make up all these reasons why Trump actually won. Uh, even though... Do you see Tucker Carlson betrayed everyone? Uh, he betrayed, betrayed everyone. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> he betrayed Trump and, and all the Fox News supporters or watchers mm. by saying, without evidence from that lady up in Michigan, then we can't say that there's voter fraud. <laughs> like, unless they can show us something like tangible. Because Tucker, it's hilarious, dude. Tucker was like, listen, we've talked about aliens on this show. We've talked about, we're, the, we're probably the most open-minded news source. Like, <laughs> uh, he's like, he prefaced it with all that, but he's like, but without any evidence, we can't just take this woman's word for it that there was massive, like millions of voter frauds. Like, she's alleging the largest scandal in U.S. election history without uh, without any evidence to show for it we've asked her and she has not sent it to us and it's so bizarre like, to me like like if you <laughs> if you realize this was irresponsible now why did what took you so long you know yeah well it's just i mean i think it just tells you where they're at fox news uh is only willing to go so far you know um mm -hmm. In, in like, because the other thing I was watching Kyle Kalinsky yesterday, and I was watching a video called, uh, it was like Fox and Friends urges Trump to concede. Mm. And I was watching it and I was like, damn, I'm watching news about the news. Like, <laughs> the fact that Fox and Friends, who have been I, like Trump 
uh, you yeah, know, sycophants this whole time. The, even they are saying he should concede. They're like urging him to because they know he's watching. Like that's mm. what's so bizarre about having like the our media landscape is that instead of the news being just these people who t- say what's going on, each news corporation is an individual player in the landscape. And the yes. way that they do shit is news to the other newses. Yes. Which is fucked yes. up. That's, no, it is. It definitely is. I think, I don't remember where I saw this, but I think I, in passing, I think I read some article that said, like, that's, like, where media starts to die is, or where, like, uh, journalism starts to die. It's when they start reporting on each other. Yes. Yeah. You know, that's, like, <laughs> like, it becomes such a problem. And I mean, yeah, I mean, you're supposed to be holding everyone to account, right? But like, it's not news that they said something. Not not, not really. Yeah. No, but. for real. It's it's just, um, yeah, just another. And, and again, it's another one you can point at capitalism as like the root of the issue there. Because these corporations are trying to make money. And they're trying to decide based on like what actions they can take to affect their bottom line down yep. the line because if you're fox news and you see all the fucking corporatists that joe biden is recruiting for his cabinet you're like this is fine i'm yes. okay with continuing the status quo so trump don't bri- don't destroy democracy because that is unstable for me yes. I, I i need this country to continue you know existing so i can make money so don't fucking undermine american democracy because I want to make a profit. That's why. I mean, I guess this is a situation where, like, the profit motive is, quote, unquote, good. But um, it's only no, it because makes sense. it's yeah. keeping yeah, us yeah, on the exactly. brink of dis- like, disaster. That's the thing, though. It makes it so... That's the thing that makes it so exhausting at this point is, like, you feel like everything that happens is, like, some people will agree with it and some people will not, you know? And it's like i can't understand why other people won't agree, like don't see it the way i do or won't agree to the like why agree this is bad and therefore it's like not even worth trying to convince them anymore so like when it like it makes sense from everyone's perspective that we should keep this at least not burn down everything from the inside like trump wants to right. at least consider it to be a you know at least try to reform things now that we have somebody in the oval office who is willing to try but it's but for some reason like some people were like no let's burn it down let's just you know well i'm ready for that and those people are unreachable basically yeah and so when but like if they thought about it for 10 seconds they would realize like no actually it's in our best interest if we kept this going we want things to be the same that's I mean, that's what you're just saying. Like, well, want- yeah, I mean, you don't want the incumbent to be able to pull strings and stay president just by nature of being the president already. Yeah. Because then what happens when your enemy is president, if that yeah. ever happens, then you're then you have to suffer the same thing. It's like you got to think about that where it's like if we do it to you, they can do it back to us potentially. Then we're setting the precedent. So I. I yeah, but they don't care about that either. <laughs> that's the don't. thing. That's the thing is like none of those rules seem to apply. And so it's just like. <laughs> whatever you know like at this point orange man bad <laughs> yeah orange man bad and it's well that's i just love seeing fox news reap what they sow because now people are turning on them and saying like fox news is just as bad as cnn and it's like well that's first off that's true but in a different way than you're meaning it but also it's 
Well, and Fox News actually worse. I, I think it's unfair to say there's a complete equivalence between CNN and Fox News, but they're both biased. You know, that's the mm-hmm. that's the alleged uh, you know crime. But um, to see all these people turning on them now because it's like, yeah, you couldn't commit all the way. You were pretty sycophantic to Trump, but at some point you drew the line, and now you have to pay the consequences. Which I'm glad that they did, but I mean, this doesn't make me like Fox News. No, uh, yeah, they're just a big propaganda machine. So, 